Well, good morning. Please turn with me online or on paper to John 10, verses 1 through 10. You can find it on page 896 of the Bible in your row. Uh, before we really begin, I, I want to say, uh, I, I want to bring you greetings uh, because last week I had the opportunity to preach at our sister church across town, Redeemer, uh, and that was a real joy and privilege to be able to stand in that pulpit and to bring your greetings to them, and now I bring you greetings back from them to you. Uh, and I said to them the same thing I'm going to say to you this morning, what an incredible gift it is that we have this relationship with Redeemer and with Grace Chapel and Zion. This is, this is a rare and beautiful thing that we find in our denomination where three churches in the same city have such close ties and kinship and love for one another. So, greetings to you from Redeemer. It's the third Sunday of Lent. Uh, we're moving toward the cross. As I said earlier, uh, we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and this is the third one. I invite you now to please stand for the reading of God's word. This is John 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger, they will not follow, but they flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. For all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, you know the prayer that I pray in secret in preparing for a sermon, that you would feed your sheep. What an honor it is, Lord, to be able to receive food from you and to give it to them that we might all rejoice together because you are the one shepherd who feeds us. Teach us now from your word, good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The I am statements in John uh, are, are a wonderful idea for a sermon series. I, I didn't come up with it, Stu did. Right, so I'm, I'm complimenting him. Uh, but I have to tell you this, no matter who you are, whether you believe in Christ or not, you have to take the gospel of John seriously. Uh, we were talking about this this week in the staff meeting, uh, and uh, our children's director, Elizabeth, said she, she just really admired the, uh, the craftsmanship of the gospel of John. And that's why no matter who you are, you really ought to take this, uh, this ancient writing seriously. John has a prologue, he has a body, he has an epilogue in this book. Uh, the prologue uh, combines the best of Hebrew and Greek philosophy of its day to say something entirely new and different about who Jesus is. 
And there's nothing uh, more intimate than the final uh, epilogue of John where you have this intimate story of Jesus with his disciples on the shore of the sea and these intimate details of this uh, historical event that happened at the end uh, of Jesus' ministry on earth. And then the body of John is divided into what we sometimes call the book of signs and the book of glory. From chapter 2 to chapter 12, this book of signs where Jesus does uh, seven or eight signs. And, he, uh, and the miraculous catch of fish in the epilogue is sometimes counted as the ninth sign. Uh, so the book of signs that Jesus does. And then the book of glory that begins on the night when he washes his disciples' feet and goes all the way to the cross... John puts this story together in a way that you can't ignore and has all these interesting things. Uh, we're sort of in the middle of uh, John 5 through 10. They call some, some people will call it the festival cycle because in chapter 5, you get an unnamed feast. In chapter 6, you get a Passover. In chapter 7 and 8, you get a feast of booths. And at the end of this chapter, chapter 10, you get a feast of dedication. And in the midst of all of that, we begin to get these I am statements. There are seven of them in total, and the first one we looked at a few weeks ago was, I am the bread. And when Jesus said, I am the bread, it was during the, peace, uh, the feast of Passover. So it made sense, bread at the Passover. Uh, against the darkness, uh, the lights lit up in the court of women of the Feast of Booths, Jesus was the one who said, I am the light of the world. So to his first hearers, it made sense. He was saying something incredible, to be sure. And now, in chapter 10, we come to this moment. It's an odd moment, because in chapter 9, there was a man. There was a sheep who was kicked out of the sheepfold. He was a man who couldn't see. He was blind. But then Jesus gave him light. He opened his eyes to see, and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, kicked the blind man out of the sheepfold, and Jesus said, oh no, you Pharisees, you've become blind. And that's where we pick up at the beginning of chapter 10. Jesus said, truly, truly. Now there are 25 of these truly, truly statements throughout the Gospel of John. And so whenever you pick one of those up, Pay attention, pay special attention. This is a, a formula that Jesus is using to say, listen to me and listen very closely. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. Truly, truly. Where's Jesus going with this? Because to his first hearers, this is pretty obvious stuff. This is like saying to a farmer, Watch for rain because you need it for your crops to grow. Of course, the person who goes in by the door is the shepherd. It's obvious then when Jesus says this next thing in verse 2 but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Not just anyone enters into the sheep pen who would want to. I mean, truly, uh, being a shepherd is an honest work for an honest laborer. But it wasn't the uh, most glamorous. Uh, wasn't the most glamorous job in the ancient world. But yes, if you go through that door, it's sort of marked employees only. Uh, it's obvious that you are the shepherd. In verse two, think about your own house. Uh, people come to your front door if they're visiting, if they're dropping off a package, if they're delivering a meal. Uh, there are a few people in your life who are allowed to come in the back door. There may be a few people in your life who are allowed to have the garage door code. 
They're very special people indeed. But most people, they have to come in through the front door. Verse three, to him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. Now Jesus is really gonna zoom in on this term voice. He says it three times in three verses. The sheep hear his voice in verse three. They know his voice in verse four. And they do not know the voice of strangers in verse five. To him the gatekeeper opens. Another obvious thing in shepherding. Uh, sometimes sheep pens in ancient times were, uh, they could be made in lots of different ways. They could be sort of a, a three-sided fence off of a house to make a courtyard. Uh, they could have been a sort of a two-sided fence up against a cave. But every sheep, every sheep pen had some sort of way to get in, a door. And if there wasn't an actual physical gate that opened and closed, there was a gatekeeper who himself laid in the way so that the sheep couldn't get in or out and so that someone who's, not, who's, someone who's not the shepherd couldn't get in or out. The gatekeeper either had to open that door and let the sheep out or open that door and let the shepherd in. The one thing I couldn't find as I was looking at this, I see that there's Jesus talking about being the door. There's Jesus talking about the shepherd coming in. There's Jesus talking about the gatekeeper and whenever I see things that come in groups of three, uh, it's like I have these Trinitarian antenna that kind of perk up when I read it. Or I start looking for uh, things like prophet, priest, and king kind of language uh, because it's all over scripture. I couldn't find any people in the commentary smarter than me who would, who would say something about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that one's for free. You can keep that. And if you find someone who mentions that, uh, let me know because I'm looking for them because I feel like that might be there. But let's go on. He's just talking about normal stuff. Sheep hear his voice. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a normal thing for sheep to know the voice and to be trained to hear the voice of the shepherd. It was a normal thing for sheep to only follow that voice and not another voice. It was a normal thing for people to know that sheep would not follow a stranger, that they would flee from a stranger. For five full verses, Jesus keeps saying basic shepherding skills 101. Yes, sheep are trained in this way. This is what they do, of course. And then in verse six, John tells us, this was a figure of speech that Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. It's a, it's a figure of speech in other, uh, in other gospels. It's the same word that, or it's a, it's a different word, but it means the same thing, a parable. This is a parable. This is, this is really some kind of, these first five verses are supposed to be some kind of wisdom metaphor that Jesus is setting up for us. And then in verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, all right, I'm, I'm waiting, Jesus. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Boom, there's the truth bomb. I am the door of the sheep. Truly, I am the door. You were waiting for Jesus when he said, I am the, you were waiting for him to say shepherd. I am the, based on the first five verses, you were waiting for him to say gatekeeper maybe. But he says, I am the door. Uh, another way you could say, I am the gate. What he's saying is, you've got to pass in and out through me. Sheep don't jump over the fence to get in. Sheep don't jump over the fence to get out unless bad things are happening, right? And the person who comes in uh, not by the door 
is a thief and a robber. You've got to come in through me, Jesus says. Now, how are we going to understand this metaphor? Jesus drops this truth bomb. He says, I am the door, and it's a little weird. At this point, we have to rewind the tape a little bit, and we've got to revisit the story of the blind man in John 9, in the chapter just before this. And there are really three questions we have to answer from John chapter 9 in order to understand John chapter 10. And the three questions are, in the story in John chapter 9, who was singled out by Jesus? In the story in John chapter 9, who did the man who was singled out follow? And in the story in John chapter 9, from whom did the man flee? John chapter 9 is this, is this strange moment where uh, Jesus, uh, some followers bring to Jesus a, a man born blind, and they say, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents? They assume that the blindness is some kind of scourge on the man because of sin, but they don't know who did the sin. Was it the parents who sinned or the man himself who sinned that he'd be blind? And Jesus said, no, he's not blind for this purpose. He's not blind because of sin. He's blind so that the glory of God might be revealed in him. Then things get weird. Jesus puts mud on the man's eyes. He tells him to go wash in a particular pool. And when he goes and washes, all of a sudden the man can see. And at this point, the trouble starts happening. Because the man goes and shows himself to the Pharisees. They find him. Uh, and they want to know who healed him. Because he had, however he had gotten healed, it had been the wrong way. Because he had been healed on the Sabbath. And it's illegal to heal on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. So who was the man singled out by Jesus? It was the man born blind. Ultimately, who did the man follow? Well, when the man went to the Pharisees and tried to explain what had happened, they didn't like him. And when the Pharisees went to the man's parents and they said, no, go back to the man and ask him, the man ends up telling his story almost, uh, I think, three different times. And every time he says, Jesus is the one who made me see. And the Pharisees can't stand it. They can't stand it so much that the man, uh, that the man is pushed away by the Pharisees and ultimately the man flees from the Pharisees because he's, he's got nowhere else to go. They kick him out of the synagogue because anyone who confessed that Jesus is the Christ was going to be put out of the synagogue. And this is what the man finally said. This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, blind, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees answered the man, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The man followed Jesus. The man fled from the Pharisees. And Jesus says this in verse 8 of John 10. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Do you get it? Do you get it? At the end of, of, of John 9, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are the ones who say you can see, but you are the ones who are blind. The man who was born blind, he is the one who can see, and he sees twice. On the one hand, he can see now in the physical world, and on the second hand, he can see who Jesus is. 
Who came before Jesus who were thieves and robbers? It was the Pharisees who cast the blind man out. Thieves and robbers in this passage, those words turn our attention toward the concepts of stealing and violence. What is it that the Pharisees are stealing? They're stealing membership into the people of God. They're stealing the, they're stealing the judgment of who is in and who is out for themselves. They're judging who's in and who's out by their own standard, which is supposedly the standard of Moses. The five books of scripture that Moses authored, except that the Pharisees have a grave misunderstanding of Moses, which Jesus had already told them at the end of John chapter 8. And there are more truly statements in John chapter 8 too. So they're thieves, they're stealing membership, but they're also robbers, and robbers are violent. And this imagery harkens back to uh, Ezekiel 34. And if you're following along, it's on page 522 of the Bible in your row. Uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34 talks about shepherding. And whenever I read Ezekiel 34, I'm reminded of my father and something uh, he once said. I can, I can still hear his voice where he said, get that out of your mouth. Get that out of your mouth. And I can, I can hear how his teeth were gritted and how the words came out. He wasn't talking to me. He was talking to our family dog. <laughs> our dog always had the wrong thing in his mouth. Whether it was the bottom of the curtains, whether it was a stick of butter on the dinner table, uh, whether it was, the, whether it was uh, somebody's socks. And when my father caught him with the wrong thing in his mouth, those were the words that came through gritted teeth. Get that out of your mouth. And that's what God says in Ezekiel 34. In verses 7 through 10, God is bringing an indictment on the shepherds, an indictment on the people who are supposed to be the leaders of, of his people. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey. And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Get that out of your mouth. Those who call themselves shepherds but eat the sheep, the Lord says you're gonna have to get that out of your mouth. The Pharisees, by stealing the idea of who is in and who is out, have become bad shepherds who are eating the sheep are there other thieves and robbers that came before Jesus in that day and time? Yes, uh, there were the zealots who were another group of the Jews who thought that they would bring in the reign of God through political violence. They were thieves and robbers. There were the Sadducees, another group of Jews in that day. They were the aristocrats who kept the law but don't believe what it teaches. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. There were the scribes, they were the interpreters of the law who Jesus called as people who strained out a gnat but swallowed a camel. Thieves and robbers. But Jesus says this in contradistinction to them in verse 9 I am the door. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. To go in and out is to, is to live life. Think about your own life. Think about how many times uh, in, in our house we have a bowl where we keep the car keys. And every time I go in and out, I either pick up the keys and put them in my jacket, or when I come back in, I put down the keys and take off my coat and my shoes. How many times do you go in and out? How much of your life is about going in and out to those normal places where you live and work and love? In and out. That's the idea. In Deuteronomy 28.6, it's language of blessing that when God's people come into the promised land, they'll go in and out and find blessing. Think about Psalm 23, the Psalm of David, the most famous Psalm where it says, he makes me to lie down in what? In green pastures. It's language of safety. When you enter by Jesus, who is the door, you will find blessing. You'll go in and out. And you'll find safety. You'll find the food that you need to eat. And God promises this when he goes on in uh, Ezekiel 34 and he reads more, uh, has more of this. And, and he, uh, it's the most intimate, it's one of the most intimate, most personal moments uh, where God is showing up in the Old Testament. He says, I, 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 over and over again in Ezekiel 34 in uh, verses 14 through 16. He says, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land, and they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I, 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 I will gather. I will feed. I will rescue. Jesus says, I'm the door to that pasture. Jesus is the fulfillment, the ultimate good shepherd. Now that's next week of Ezekiel 34. But he's the gate through which we go in. And then he turns one more time. The thief, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I hear this phrase regularly used when uh, folks speak about the devil, right? We talk about Satan as the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When we pray, we pray for protection against the devil who would steal, kill, and destroy. And yet, uh, yes, in John 8, Jesus talks about the devil as the liar and murderer, and he was the liar and murderer from the beginning. Uh, but in this place here, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees about themselves. The Pharisees are the thief in this parable. They're the ones who steal, kill, and destroy. Now, do we need to take apart each of these words? Do we need to talk about what it means that they steal? And do we need to talk about what it means that they kill? And do we need to talk about what it means that they destroy? No, this threefold repetition, steal, kill, destroy, is a really common writing device that just shows the intensification of what he's saying. Like, do thieves only steal? Do they only kill? Do they only destroy? No. Do thieves regularly do all three of these kinds of things? Yes. They steal, they kill, they destroy. It's awful. And the emphasis is like saying, don't you know? Don't you know that? They take and they take and they take. But Jesus says, I came to give. 
I came to give more than you could possibly imagine. And what did he come to give? He says he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. You can have thieves or you can have Jesus. You can have death or you can have life. You can have salvation or you can have nothing. Jesus is the gate that gets you to that pasture. Jesus is the gate that gets you to that abundant life. Now, I just have to go back and in thinking about a few just real simple applications to this. I was thinking about the, the idea of the voice that the sheep don't listen to. The voices, what are the voices that call out to us to listen to? Um, and uh, I prayed for the Lord to help me with this. And, and, uh, and I just said, what, Lord, what are the bad voices? And I came up with the three bad voices, three examples of bad voices, B-A-D. The first bad voice is bitterness. Bitterness is a bad voice that will call out to you. Bitterness wants to be your shepherd. When you encounter circumstances in life that make the, the bile rise up in your throat, you can choose to engage in that bitterness and let it take root, or you can reject it. It's a voice you don't wanna follow. Second example, anger. Anger wants to be your shepherd. Anger wants to be my shepherd. Anger calls out and says, if you've been treated unjustly, this is the right way to respond. Give in to your anger. The third one's divisiveness. Divisiveness wants to be your shepherd. What do you mean divisiveness? I mean being divided, dividing ourselves up, looking at the world in terms of us and them if you want to be divided, those voices will call out bitterness, anger, divisiveness, and those who preach bitterness, and those who preach anger, and those who preach divisiveness. Uh, think of it this way. I, I go to the gym, uh, and in the, in the locker room of my gym, there's a television, and every morning, I'm not much of a sports guy, uh, but, but they, they keep the sports channel on in the locker room, in the gym, and I hear it every, I hear it every morning, and sometimes they, have, they don't have the sports channel on, they have the news channel on. And I can always tell the difference almost immediately because when I walk into the sports channels on, I hear things like, uh, I hear things like, we could win. They're looking for a win. It's sort of upbeat, which I like as I'm getting ready to go work out, right? But if it's the news that's on the TV, it's always some kind of warning. It always has the tone of watch out, bad things are coming. Watch out for this, watch out for that. What are the bad voices you might be tempted to listen to? It might be the news source that you've got. It might be the podcast that you listen to. It might be a person. It might be someone close to you who's saying these kinds of things, but you find the hooks of bitterness, anger, divisiveness. But Jesus is the door. If you find yourself bitter, if you find yourself angry, if you find yourself divisive or divided in a relationship, Jesus is the door. If you're bitter, Remember that Jesus is the one who drank the bitter cup of suffering for you when he went to the cross. If you're angry, remember that Jesus bore the wrath of God for you on the cross. If you're divided or dividing, remember that Jesus on the cross tore down in his flesh the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, so that you could be reconciled. He's the door. 
Now, many of you know what Jesus means when he talks about bringing abundant life because you have it. And the people I'm thinking of specifically this morning are uh, several of you that I've started to get to know. Uh, You're older than me. Some of you are much older than me. And I've been at Zion long enough that I'm starting to learn some of your stories. And though you may be broken in pieces in this life, you may be broken in emotional pieces, you may be broken into physical pieces, your body's not working the way it ought, you describe yourselves as having abundant life. And it's because you know Jesus and because you've known him and you're still walking with him that you can say, even now, even today, I have abundant life and I'm looking forward to more abundant life. Your heart can be breaking and yet you have it. Your body can be failing and yet you have it. And you have it now and you're going to have it more in eternity. But Jesus had to come in history in order to make it happen. And you may be out here today thinking that I'm crazy to say this. How can you be broken in pieces and have abundant life? Uh, That's okay. There were people who listened to this parable that Jesus said, and they thought the same thing. And that's, that's at the end of the chapter. There's a little bit of a sounds too good to be true. In John 10, verses 19 through 21, there was a division among the Jews because of the words that Jesus spoke. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Too good to be true. But others said, these aren't the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Some of them had to ask this obvious question. Are are you sure? Are you sure about this guy? And when they do, I I point to that as an example of, of, uh, of something that's been called questioning your questions and doubting your doubts. If something about this passage seems too good to be true, that Jesus really does bring abundant life, that he is the door, maybe you could question your questions and doubt your doubts. And then maybe you'll be able to see that Jesus is the door, the one where you too could find pasture. Let's pray. Almighty God, you who've given us a door, that we could come in and find pasture. Grant that we might be able to question our questions, to doubt our doubts, to see Jesus as that door and to pass through and find the blessing that you have, to find the rescue that you have, to find all the abundant goodness that you have, that we might live life to the full, life more abundantly, and bring glory to you in all things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.